talk this this morning, and I'm going to have to change the title for everybody up in the back room. The, uh, we've been talking about the deception of comparison. We talked about it last week. Uh, by show of hands, no condemnation at all, but who wasn't able to make it last week? Raise your hand, because I want to know if I need to recap. I'm going to recap just a little bit. Uh, we talked about the deception of comparison and how it's so deceiving that Many times we compare ourselves with other people and when other people are, have certain gifts and blessings, we're like, oh, I want to be like them. We talked about, uh, I talked about whenever I was successful, it just wasn't ever, it didn't ever seem like it was enough because there was always somebody that was more successful than I was. And so I would always compare myself and in years past, I would compare myself with them and, and I never, it never seemed like I was good enough. And, and so we talked about that last day and it's, it's the deception of comparison, how that we are deceived into thinking that when we compare ourselves with other people is that it'll be a blessing to us. It's not a blessing, it's a curse. This morning, I want to talk to you. I'm going to recap a little bit, but this morning, I want to wind up talking about comparing yourself with yourself. Now, the, 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 when we compare ourselves with others, most of the reason, a lot of times the reason that is, is because uh, we are insecure with who we are. Now, when we compare ourselves with ourselves, it's because we have quite a bit of pride in us and we think that we got it all figured out. So it's a different deal, but it cross-pollinates, if you will. This past week, there was a, 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 a two words that came to my mind and I didn't even know that it was a thing. And so I Googled it and it just happens to be a thing. And I didn't, I'd never heard that, the term before, but I'm going to change the title of my message uh, from comparing yourself to yourself. And uh, the title of my message is going to be Intellectual Inbreeding. <laughs> intellectual Inbreeding. What is that? I thought you'd never ask. That word came to me, and then I Googled it, and I figured out what it was after I Googled it, but I didn't, I had an idea, but I, so the word actually comes from universities when they hire graduates from their university because they have the same bent and the same influence that the university has and they will hire people to be professors in their university because they will bring the same agenda that the university has. <laughs> Intellectual inbreeding. In other words, in other words, the, the freedom that comes from individuality is robbed and the creativity from the creator is not recognized, but we become our own entity of information. I know. How many times do we say that? I know, I know. 
I get it, I get it, I get it. Intellectual inbreeding. <coughs> we all know that uh, uh, in the animal world, uh, when there is inbreeding, there it can cause uh, uh, birth defects. It can cause brain issues. <laughs> Y'all know where I'm going, right? <laughs> inbreeding can bring a lot of illness with animals. There is a set, a mindset today that is so ungodly that if the agenda of this world, if you don't agree with the agenda of this world, that can now become a hate crime. We have become so manipulated and intimidated by our culture that our lawmakers have said that you do not have the freedom to think freely. Somebody, somebody needs to rise up above this intellectual inbreeding and say that God has a different plan than what our culture has. Somebody in the church needs to wake up. Somebody in the church needs to rise up. Somebody in the church needs to think for themselves and know what God's word says so they can understand the freedom that comes from serving the God of the Bible and the truth of the word of God. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. This is where we get all this from. It says, we do not dare. Have you ever had somebody come to you and say, I dare you. I just dare, double dog dare you. Paul says, we do not dare. Paul's talking to the rebellious Corinthians who had their way of thinking and they were offended when somebody would come against their cultural way of thinking. So here's what Paul says to them. He says, we do not dare. When Paul's talking about we, he's talking about himself and the people who, who uh, uh, helped begin the church in Corinth. We, dare, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with someone who commends themselves. Anybody been around braggarts? People that just brag on themselves because they're insecure with themselves. Oh, I just, let me just say this because it's not my notes because I'll forget if I don't tell it now. Insecure people rob themselves of creativity because their minds are uh, 
what it is what is it when you have uh, 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 a wall around a fort and nobody can get in. Uh, it, it's like we, we rob ourselves of information and truth because we're insecure with anybody that brings a word to us <coughs> that we may not understand or that we may not agree with. Some people, you can't even talk to them because they get mad if you disagree. And it happens with insecure people, but it also happens with arrogant, prideful people. Let me go on. It says, we don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves. They measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. And then he says this, they are not wise. So the question arises here, as compare, has comparison ever controlled your mood? Has comparison ever controlled your peace or your joy as you compare yourself with other people? Has it ever controlled your hope? Has it ever controlled your confidence? Has it ever controlled your self-worth? You see, comparison is a very lousy boss and an extremely cruel master. Curious, just kind of out of curiosity, how many we have a, we, the, the church here has a Facebook site. How many, how many here tonight, today, you have, you're, you have a Facebook page? Raise your hand. A good majority. Face, Facebook is a, it's a, it's a, I just want to, it's just, when you analyze Facebook, Facebook started in 2004 by a Harvard sophomore. It was pretty much about keeping up with people that, that you like. <laughs> but over the years, it's kind of evolved into keeping up with people that you resent, <laughs> as well as a means to perpetuate gossip. I'll wait on you a minute. A means to perpetuate gossip. Many people gauge their self-worth by how many likes they get or how many comments they get on their post. I'm sure none of y'all will fall into that trap. It's a trap, by the way, right? Oh, they don't like me. I only got 10 likes. And then when you get 10, it's not good enough. You got to have 12. And then if you have 12, well, I only got 12 likes. Well, you like you was content with with ten before you knew you could get twelve. I'm talking to you. When and when do you get to the place where you are content with your godliness? At what point in time is it where it doesn't matter who likes it or who doesn't, who comments on it or who doesn't comment on it? Your peace comes from your Savior. It doesn't come from Facebook. 
You see, we cannot afford to participate in the gossip of the world. I'm going to tell you, the news stations that are on TV anymore, it's not news anymore. It's just there to rile you up and to get you mad and to stir you up. My God, we need to listen to who we are and who God said we are instead of listening to all the noise out in this world who tells you who you are. I'm going to tell you, the world doesn't know who you are. Only God knows you. You want to learn about yourself, go to the one who made you. Almost anything can be used for good or for evil, really. Mankind is no different. You see, before Facebook and Instagram... Honestly, you didn't know so many details about people (laughs) in their lives. So before social media, we really didn't know how great your plate of food looked at dinner. We didn't even know that. We didn't know how incredible your vacation was. We weren't there. We didn't know how amazing your home looks at Christmas or which neighbor got the title of the one in the neighborhood who had the most lights. We didn't know how great your haircut looks (laughs) or how stunning and happy you and your spouse look on your date night. We didn't know that and frankly don't care. (laughs) We didn't know how adventurous you look on your latest hike up the mountain or how happy you look when you were working on some outreach for God. We didn't know that. We do care about that. We didn't know that you and your wife actually have matching clothes for every holiday. We didn't know that. (laughs) We didn't know how you look in the bathroom mirror. After you make, put your makeup on. <laughs> Dear Lord, we didn't know how far you can run or how much weight you lost or how much weight you can lift. Probably don't care. We don't care what college your child was accepted to and that you were there to help them unload the car at the dorm. Probably don't even care how much money you won at the rope in Las Vegas. <laughs> probably don't care. (laughs) It's something though, isn't it? I mean, we need to think about these things. You see, when we make it all about us, we rob ourselves we rob ourselves of the opportunity to make it all about God. Romans 1.16 makes this statement. It says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone. Every, we would say for everyone. <laughs> for everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, real spiritual power is designed to destroy anything that comes against the truth of God's word. 
our scripture in 2 Corinthians that we've been talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, we demolish. We, it's talking about, Paul was talking about true followers of Christ. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, we demolish those arguments. You want to make a difference in people's lives and to change the culture. <coughs> I have, I'm just talking to you this morning, but I've determined that it's not enough just to win when it comes. I'm a competitive guy. How many of People in here, you say you're pretty competitive. Raise your hand. Now, all you that did not raise your hand, you are competitive. You just don't know it. <laughs> I mean, you get a, you get a, you get a, you, you go to Walmart and get in the middle of a sale aisle, and I mean, you're going to go after it. <laughs> don't tell me you're not competitive. Black Friday, Good Friday for you. But we compete for a crown of righteousness. And I think it's important for us to, to, to reignite this competitive bone inside of us that we, that we are able to stand up because the world is competing for your soul. I said the world is competing for your soul. The world don't, the world doesn't want you in church at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning. The world wants you to stop believing because whenever you come in the presence of the world, there is a conviction that walks with you because you have made up your mind that no matter what happens in your life, you are going to have and pledge your allegiance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And people who do not do that are threatened by your faith. Amen. There's a competition. Don't tell me. Don't tell me there's not a competition. People don't appreciate it when you stand up for the truth of the world. We've been called to demolish every argument that sets itself. Y'all come on with me. Demolish every argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We need to wake up and stand up and speak up. All this happens because of inbred intellectuals. The second part of that verse says, we take captive every thought that makes it to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, when a thought comes into our mind, we captivate that thought and we ask ourselves this question, is this thought from God or is this thought not from God? Is this thought something that edifies the kingdom of God, is this thought something that is supported by the word of God? I've had people come up to me and say that God told them to do something, but it's against his word, of, his word in the Bible. Let me tell you something. God will never tell you to do something against the word that is written. The written word will always, always, always back up the spoken word. Don't try to manipulate God's word to get what you want. 
The enemy has created strongholds of lies, lies that fill our education system, lies that fill our political system, and sadly, lies that even fill our religious system. These powerful and deceiving lies feed the carnal nature in America. They feed the carnal nature in Texas. They feed the carnal nature in Montgomery County. And if we're not careful, they will feed the carnal nature at the Lone Star Cowboy Church. Lies like there is no hell or punishment for sin. Lies like Jesus can't be the only way to heaven. That's the first church of Oprah. Lies like you can live any way you want and God will understand. Lies like if you get ahead here on earth, you'll get ahead with God. Lies like you have the authority and the right to reassign your own gender. Lies like God approves of your cohabitation with the opposite sex as long as you love each other. You have the right to redefine love. Lies like same-sex attraction. The the law now supports same-sex marriage. So it must be okay with God. Lies like I can take the innocent life growing in my womb. I'm glad Jesus wasn't aborted. You see, real spiritual power begins with obedience to Christ and his word. You want power in your life? First, you have to know the word before you can be obedient to the word. That's why we have digging deep. That's the reason we have men's and women's Bible studies. That's the reason we have church on Sunday morning. That's the reason we have church on Monday night. I tell people, if they don't make it to heaven, it ain't going to be our fault because we have church all the time. Because wisdom and the knowledge and the word of God is the most powerful thing that you can feed into your brain because your your brain is going to be occupied by something. (laughs) And and Like I got about 12 pages of notes and I'm like at page five. It's much easier to blame Satan Y'all listen to this. It's much easier to blame Satan or even God than take personal responsibility for our lack of discipline and obedience. (laughs) It's easier to blame somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault. This is the culture that we live in. We always want to blame somebody else for our flaws. Since we take every captive oh goodness Second Corinthians 10 6 it says we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience once your obedience is complete we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience 
You see, one of the things about disobedience, we can recognize it ourselves. And when we begin to think for ourselves, we see the areas of our lives where we are disobedient. We do something about it individual, individually because we respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because we love God, we want to obey God. Because we love God, we want to love his word. Because we love God, we want to do the right thing. That's why we come to church on, at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning. We want to do the right thing. But you see, if we don't want to do the right thing, we, want to, we can always find an excuse for the reason that we live our lives that is contrary to the Word of God. And generally, the excuse is, yeah, well, fasten your seatbelt. Generally, the, the excuse is, is that my situation is different. And God understands. I really didn't think I'd get any amens out of that anyway. <laughs> but verse 5, it says, we demolish arguments. It's our job. Come on with me. Please help me today. We demolish. It's our job to demolish our own arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. It's our job to demolish. Have you are ever argued with yourself that you can be disobedient? To God, everybody has. I have, you have, everybody has. Everybody does it. Because if you ever sin, you are arguing your point to sin. Yeah. Then the Holy Spirit convicts you, and then you have to make up your mind. So listen to me. We don't, I don't want you to be hard on yourself because you're not perfect yet. I don't want you to be hard on yourself because you aren't perfect yet. But I'm not preaching about people who respond to conviction. I'm preaching to people who have accepted rebellion against God and his word. And accepted it. And tried to justify it. You know what I'm talking about. I hope, you, I hope it's clear. If it's not, you can uh, listen, to, listen to it again tomorrow night. Seven o'clock. We must choose not to become trapped or snared by any argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. I want to read this real quick. Um, Max Lucado wrote, <coughs> there are certain mountains that only God can climb. The names of these mountains, you'll see them as you look for the window, as you look from the window of the chapel of the great house of God. Matthew 6, 13, yours is the kingdom. Everybody say yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory for how long? forever a trio of peaks mantled by the clouds admire them applaud them but don't don't climb them it's not that you aren't welcome to try it's just that you aren't able the pronoun is thine is the kingdom not mine is the kingdom not mine 
is the kingdom. If the word Savior is in your job description, it's because you put it there. Your role is to help the world, not to save it. Take yourself off the hook there. Mount Messiah. Mount Messiah is one mountain you weren't made to climb. Nor is Mount self-sufficient. You can try to climb it. You aren't able to run the world, nor are you able to sustain it. Some of you think you can. You are self-made. <laughs> you don't bow your knees. You just roll up your sleeves and put in another 12-hour day, which may be enough when it comes to making a living and building a business. But when you face your own grave or your own guilt, your power will not do the trick. You were able, you were not able, you were not made to run your kingdom, nor are you expected to be all powerful. And you certainly, certainly can't handle the glory. The last mount, the last mountain that we weren't made to climb is the mount, is Mount Applause. You see, this mountain is the most destructive of all the, the peaks. The higher you climb, the more people applaud, but the thinner the air becomes. More than one person has stood at the top and shouted, mine is the glory, until they lose their balance and fall. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. What, what protects, what protection this final phrase affords as you confessed that God is in charge? When you confess that God is in charge, you also confess that you are not. Getting something done in life will always bring criticism. If you want to, if you want to get something done, somebody's going to criticize you. If you are never criticized, <laughs> nobody ever says nothing bad about you. <laughs> Y'all know where I'm going, right? My dad bought a, a two-year-old stallion. He, he traded a 20-year-old Mariner and $500 for this stallion. The reason he bought him so cheap was that the guy that he bought him from would take him to horse shows and this stallion would raise up on the back of his legs and he, he, would, he, would, he was a uh, rebel. And he'd get away from this guy in the show ring. He'd run around the show. All these other guys got a hold of their horses. And this horse was running around kicking at people, running around the ring. And this guy was so embarrassed, he couldn't handle him. And he sold him to dad. And dad got him. Dad put one thing in him. Discipline. Dad was real good at discipline. I'll tell you in this 830 service, because... We bred a lot of mares with that stud. But this stud, he was, he was rank 
And, and whenever he came out of the out of the pen, out of the corral, when dad would lead him out of the corral, this stud tried to run over dad. Dad got had enough of it. And <coughs> he said, he wanted me to lead him out. So I, he got on the outside of that, that pen and got a two before in his hand. And when that stud come running out, dad just hit him right, right below his eyes. And he said, he said, this horse, well, I was there. This horse went down to his knees and, and, and he, he thought that he killed him. <laughs> From that moment on, you know what that stud did when he come through that gate? He would walk and then he'd look. <laughs> you, Dad wound up selling that horse I'll never forget, it was on a Wednesday night before Bible study and, and, and before church, and Dad was on the phone. We had a phone in the lobby of this little church, and Dad was talking to a guy from Australia. This guy wanted to buy this horse, and Dad told him how much it cost, and Dad told him, I remember I was standing out there, Dad told him, hey, I got to go to church. I pastored a church, and I got church. Are you buying the horse or are you not buying the horse? And the guy bought the horse. We, we paid for a house with what dad sold that horse for. Wow. Do you know what the difference is? One thing, somebody, I hope somebody's listening. One thing made that horse more valuable than anything else. One word, you know what it is, discipline. Thank you, thank you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for loving us. Help us, Lord, not to be, not to try to climb this, this mountain of self-sufficiency. Help us, Lord, not to listen to the applause of men, not to live for the likes on Facebook. Help us, Lord, to uh, honor you as the author and the finisher of our faith that you showed your love to us so much that you gave your only begotten son that if we would believe in you, that we would have everlasting life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for discipline. Thank you for wisdom. I'd like for you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a second this morning. If you've never accepted Christ as your personal savior, that's the greatest gift that you can give God because the greatest gift that God gave you was his sacrifice on the cross. And with that sacrifice comes his, comes his presence in your life. If you've never accepted him, maybe if you have, you haven't been living for him, slip your hand up, say, preacher, I need Jesus in my life. I need to make him the Lord of my life. I don't have time to mess around. I just want you to know that this is the greatest gift that you could ever have in your life. Slip your hand up high, anybody. Preacher, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. I'm not ashamed to say I need this Savior that you're talking about this morning. Anybody? Slip your hand up high. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? <coughs> I want to be clear this morning. I want to be real clear this morning. <coughs> God is not talking about you being a perfect person with perfect actions. 
But what he does want is a perfect heart toward him. Your heart will make the decision. Your heart will decide whether you want to serve God or whether you, and whether you want discipline in your life. If you don't want God, if you don't want to follow him all the way, it's a heart problem. It's not, a, it's not an action problem. It's a heart problem. Y'all with me? So I don't know about you, but I need... It's, it's kind of like... It's kind of like... When you have a vehicle, you have to maintain that vehicle. You get the oil changed. You got you to put gas in it. You got to put oil in it. You got you to take care of it. We're no different. We all need maintenance. That's part of why we have church all the time. Because we all need maintenance. Uh, if you will let me, I want to pray for your heart. I mean, I don't want to pray for what you're doing. I want to pray for your heart because the doing will always follow your heart. If your heart's right before God, <laughs> it's amazing what will happen. Amen. Can I pray for your heart? Yes, Raise your hands. Raise both hands if you want me to pray for you. Lord, we surrender. You see our hearts. You see our hearts. Lord, mold us and shape us. Take away our hard hearts. Take away our selfish hearts. Take away our uh, intellectual, inbred hearts. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you, to your word, to demolish all arguments against your word, that we would stand up for the truth of the word of God, that we would know the word and we would stand up for the word. We speak to the overcomers today. We speak not just to the winners. We speak to those who dominate in the kingdom of God and cast down every argument. This is a battle. This is a war. We are on a battlefield. May we recognize our lives and may our competitive nature be healthy and an anointed of you, Holy Spirit, we pray. And thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, aren't you glad you came to church this morning? I love y'all. God bless you. Go out there and make a difference. We got our prayer team up here. If you need special prayer, we'd love to have you. God bless you.